The same thing is true in us. It's the small acts of grace, the small yeses, the small choices, the small commitments to Jesus every single day that add up and can affect the large motions of our daily life. So this week I was thinking about getting my ears pierced. I know I um I don't know. I, I had my, my left ear pierced when I was in sixth grade and I was like, you know what? And it closed up. So I was like, you know what, maybe I'll I'll do that again or I'll get both of them pierced. And I went to go see how much it was and it was so expensive, like so much more than I thought it would be. But then the lady told me, she's like, you know, uh, if you come in here and you tell us you're a pirate, it's a lot cheaper. And I was like, How much does it cost to pierce your ears if you're a pirate? And she was like about a buccaneer. Hey everyone, welcome uh, to episode 156. So great to be with you. Um, I don't know if you can hear from this, but we're recording on new equipment. So yeah, uh, excited to tell you about that. But uh, without getting into it too quickly, uh, make sure if this is your first time listening, welcome by the way, please rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening to it. And if it's been a while since you've done that and you're a longtime listener, it always helps other people find the podcast, but the highest compliment you can pay is to share it with your friends and family. If you share it on social media, tag us at Man of Food for Thought on Instagram. You can find all of our social media handles, our content, and you can contact us on our website, manaffft.com. And you can also click on the give button when you are there to be a supporter on Patreon and support us and the cost of this podcast for as little as $1 a month. And so we'd appreciate that. We appreciate all of you patrons. And while you're there, subscribe to our newsletter and you can get our weekly reflection on the responsorial psalm so you can be even more prepared for the upcoming Sunday Mass. Without further ado, let's get into our joy, junk, and Jesus. So as I said, my joy is that we have built here in the parish that I work at, a audio and film recording studio set up, and it is awesome. So I'm in the midst of trying to figure it out and test out the equipment, and so um, this is the first thing that has really been created in this studio. So yeah, it's very awesome. Um, so a lot of joy with that, a lot of things finally coming to fruition. Junk is that as I was setting up the studio, uh, I was doing some last minute things, and I had to black out a window to, um, get the lighting more under control in the studio for the film stuff. And I was putting Velcro on a piece of fabric and I was pushing really hard down on the Velcro to get it to stick. And it was fine when I was doing the soft part of Velcro, but then I went and did the pokey part and I rubbed my thumb on it and it sliced my thumb in 10 different places in a row. Yeah, it was gross and painful. So uh, my thumb is all messed up because of that. So yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't mess with Velcro. But my Jesus moment, um, apart from all the great things happening just in ministry in general, is just um, really being able to see the fruits of seeking to build good and new forms of community around us. And um, I've had a, also a couple really great, um, I, actually over the past week, maybe three or four people I've seen um, who were coming in for spiritual direction. And that just is always such a beautiful gift. And so to be able to be with people and hear their story and journey with them. And so that along with just been getting a lot of affirmations from people, especially about Bible study and our RCIA process. And it's just been really wonderful. Just constant reminders that like, I am where I'm supposed to be, that God is good, that he's in control, that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And even in the midst of difficulties and doubts and worries and frustrations, like it's so great to be reminded of those things. So 
Yes. That being said, um, let's get into our podcast uh, episode. So we are always reflecting on the second reading for the upcoming Sunday. This Sunday's Easter, by the way. Happy Holy Week. Happy Easter. Um, as you're listening to this, it's probably Holy Saturday or later. So um, hopefully not too early to say that. But uh, this Sunday, there's a listing for two different readings uh, for the second reading. And I'm going to read both of them because they're both very short and they both kind of coalesce in the area that I want to talk about. So the first one is from Colossians 3, and the second one is from 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'm not going to get into the details of, you know, all, all surrounding them, because I just want to kind of seamlessly go from one to the other. Just listen and see if you notice any common themes. Okay, so this is Paul writing to the church in Colossae, Colossians chapter 3. He says, Brothers and sisters, if, if then you were raised with Christ... Seek what is above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Think of what is above, not of what is on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ your life appears, then you too will appear with him in glory. And then he writes to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, Brothers and sisters, do you not know that a little yeast leavens all the dough? Clear out the old yeast so that you may become a fresh batch of dough, inasmuch as you are unleavened. For our Paschal Lamb, Christ, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, Things that really stand out for me in this, starting with the reading from Colossians, is this phrase, seek what is above. And then at the end of that sentence, the new sentence starts, for you have died. Seek what is above, for you have died. Like connecting those two things and reminding us, especially in the midst of this coming Easter season, of our baptism. Like during Easter, there's all these sprinkling rites that happen to remind us of the joy we are meant to have in our baptism, but also that our baptism was a transformational moment where we are saying to the world, I am dying to all of these things. I don't want them part of my life anymore. And I want to seek what is above. And it reminds me of the first words that Jesus speaks in the gospel of John. Uh, Two of the disciples of John the Baptist are following him, and he turns around and he says, What are you looking for? Those are his first words in the entire gospel. What are you looking for? To remind us that our hearts are yearning for what is above. Nothing on earth will satisfy the desires of your heart. Nothing. And as a result of dying to the things of this world, our life should look different. Does your life look different as a result of your faith? And if it doesn't, or if you struggle with that, what are some things that maybe you need to let die? Maybe you need to let the desire to please others die. Worrying about what others think. Being, uh, maybe you need to let being lazy or complacent in your faith die. Maybe you need to let self-hatred, guilt, or shame die. So that you can truly live into the person God is calling you to be. To seek what is above. In Romans chapter 6, verse 4 Paul writes, we were indeed buried with him through baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might live in newness of life. Now this, you know, it doesn't need to be all at once. It's not some huge, extravagant, or sudden St. Paul conversion moment. 
And we forget that St. Paul, after his conversion, he didn't go right into preaching. There's a little verse in, uh, in Acts of the Apostles that talks about the fact that he, he lived in a certain city or he kind of prepared for at least a year. I think it may have been up to three years before he started actually going out and preaching and going on his missionary journeys. And for us, conversion is the same way. It's a lifelong process of conforming our heart to God and allowing our hearts and lives to be changed. And so this is not like a paint splatter where it just all happens at once. This is like building a building, you know, or, or sculpting a sculpture. But I love the analogy of building a building because, you know, if you know anyone who's in construction or anyone who's an architect, I've heard this statistic and it seems to be true when you look at building sites and things like that, that when you look at the overall span of time in a construction project, about two thirds of that time is spent on the foundation. It's spent in all the digging, the clearing the site, the leveling it out, the setting the, the foundation, making sure it's level, make sure, making sure it's up to code. And a lot of that, obviously, is to be sure that it supports the rest of the structure. But also, it's work that doesn't seem that visible or like it's prog progressing. Sorry, I couldn't think of how to pronounce that word. That is progressing very quickly. And the same thing is true in our spiritual life. When we're building a new foundation on Christ... That foundation work is going to take a lot of time, and it's going to look like construction has stalled at times. It's not going to look like all of these great structures are being raised. It's going to involve a lot of digging, moving things around in our life, moving things out, moving new th things in, making sure that we are setting up a level and strong, a firm foundation in Christ so that structures can rise and fall above it and that they can be stable. But if we rush into some big commitment or some big set of practices or, you know, dive into becoming a missionary after we just experienced our initial conversion, like we're going to be on a very feeble foundation. And so the things that we need to die to and how we begin to seek what is above sometimes involves a lot of non-glorious action, things that don't seem like they're bearing fruit initially. It takes a lot of hard work and time. And so... Letting go of these things often may not seem like it has a lot of initial benefit, or it may seem very difficult. We may revert back to them. But brothers and sisters, I just want to encourage you to have patience in these moments. To have patience because the Lord is doing a work in you, and he is building a great building, you know, like a great cathedral. And it's not something that can be done overnight. And it's something that in the initial stages, in fact, for most of the building project is going to look very strange and dirty and like not a lot of progress is being made. But if we are faithful and we're making the right choices and we're allowing that foundation to be laid and we consistently allow it to remain, then my goodness, the things that God can build and assemble in our life is incredible. This relates to the other passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the phrase that, do you not know that a little yeast leavens all the dough? A little yeast leavens or raises all the dough. And it just reminded me that in this, this act of letting parts of us die, letting go, seeking what is above, in small ways and having that patient process minded approach to the spiritual life, that it's not all at once this big, bold conversion moment, that it's a lifelong journey. 
to be reminded that you can make the biggest difference in, in a single person's life or even in the world simply by living your life in joyful, loving response to Jesus and the fact that he saved you from sin and death. It's the parable from Matthew chapter 13 where he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed and a, that a person took and sowed in a field. It's the smallest of seeds, yet when fully grown, it is the largest of plants. It becomes a large bush and the birds of the sky come and dwell in its branches. And then he says, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed with three measures of wheat flour until the whole batch was leavened. You know, in the words of St. Mother Teresa, not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. And so what are the small things God is calling you to do? The small actions, the small things that need to be dug up, moved aside so that that foundation can be laid. You know, in Luke 16, Jesus reminds us the person who is trustworthy in very small matters is also trustworthy in great ones. And the person who is dishonest in very small matters is also dishonest in great ones. The daily actions of life and the small things that we do in pursuit of Jesus are the training ground for the big choices that will come later, from the big callings that the Lord may have for us. It's true in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, where the master leaves and he entrusts 10 talents to one servant, five to one to a servant, and one to another. And the ones who have 10 and five, they multiply their talents. And what the master says is, well done, my good and faithful servant. Since you were faithful in small matters, I will give you great responsibilities. Come and share in your master's joy. But the one who had one hid it out of fear, and he's rebuked and thrown out by his master. It's in the small actions and small choices, the small responsibilities that God has already entrusted to us, our daily life, our daily responsibilities and relationships. If we're faithful in those things, we can change the world. It's in those places that we are first being called to die and seek what is above. In James chapter 3, James writes this, If we put bits into the mouths of horses to make, us, make them obey us, we also guide their whole bodies. It's the same with ships. Even though they are so large and driven by fierce winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot incl pilot's inclination which wishes. In the same way, the tongue is a small member and has yet great pretensions. And so James here is talking about be wary of your speech because small things that you can say with your tongue, with your words, can have great effects on others. But the same is true in everything in life in the spiritual life at least, that just like a small bit is put into the mouth of a horse or a small rudder at the back of the ship and it can steer the entire you know, direction of the horse or the direction of the ship, the same thing is true in us. It's the small acts of grace, the small yeses, the small choices, the small commitments to Jesus every single day that add up and can affect the large motions of our daily life. And the same is true with bad decisions. In Galatians 5, Paul writes, You were running well. Who hindered you from following the truth? That enticement does not come from the one who called you. A little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough. So notice here, he's recognizing someone came and you guys are not practicing what you were practicing before. What happened? And he quotes a similar phrase in, that he does in 1 Corinthians. But in this case, he's talking about that in the bad things, a little yeast also leavens the whole batch of dough. So if we are not being faithful in the small moments of life, or even if we're letting small indulgences of sin into our life, and we think, oh, this is not too bad, you know, it's just this, it's not like I'm killing anyone, or I'm not doing anything super heinous, those are the ways in which sin can grab hold of us. 
you know, there's these analogies I like to use. Um, you know, one is of uh, Eskimos in, you know, the tundra, how they hunt wolves when wolves start to attack their animals or their, their livestock or whatever it is that they're keeping for food. They will take a knife and they will cover it in seal's blood and they'll bury it in the ice and they'll, they'll point the blade upward and they'll make sure it's very sharp. And what a wolf will do is it will smell the blood and it will start digging through the ice and ravenously licking up the taste of blood that it smells. And because the cold is so numbing, the wolf won't notice that the knife is cutting its mouth. And eventually the wolf, in pursuit of the taste of more and more blood, will not recognize it's its own blood that it's tasting and it will die. And that is often what happens to us in sin. Just a little taste of it, we somehow get numb to the effect it's having. We can't think rationally. We can't step aside and say, wait, how is this, you know, rationally affecting me? From an outside perspective, we get ensnared and enticed by sin. The same thing is true in the analogy of, you know, putting a frog in boiling water. If you put a frog in boiling water, it will jump right out. It can sense that it's hot. It's obviously trying to save itself. But if you put a frog in cold water or lukewarm water and you slowly turn up the heat, the frog won't stay in there. It won't recognize the small change in temperature quickly enough and it will die before the water, uh, by the time the water gets so hot that um, it cannot survive in it. The same thing is true of us. If we surround ourselves in environments where it's just a little bit of this sinful yeast, you know, a little bit of this bad choice, but I'll tolerate everything else. I, I think I can maintain a good a good sense of my faith, a good sense of my morals in this situation. The more and more we expose ourselves, the less likely we're going to notice once we cross that threshold, that point of no return where things get really bad or really sketchy. But the benefit is the same thing is true with the good. You know, we can start surrounding ourselves with good people, start surrounding ourselves or allowing our life to be dictated by small practices of grace, of good choices, to improve our life, our health, our mind, our body, our soul, and the small decisions every single day, the small commitments to what is good and what is true and what is beautiful will have positive ripple effects in our life and we'll start to choose more of the good. We'll, be, we'll have less of an appetite for the earthly, for the sinful, for settling for the things that we think will fulfill us and instead we will pursue what is above. So brothers and sisters, this week as we go through Holy, have we gone through Holy Week and we're preparing, you know, for Easter, we're in the midst of the Easter season whenever you're listening to this. I just want to encourage you to think about one small thing that you could do to live out this Easter joy, to let let the earthly part of you die and be reminded of the call of your baptism to seek what is above and to not think it has to happen overnight or in some big grandiose gesture. But what are one or two small things that you could do and start doing today to improve your life or your health, to improve the health of your mind, of your body, of your soul. You know, don't pick one in each area. Just do one thing. What's the most predominant thing? What's the thing that is coming into your head right now that you know, yeah, this is probably the thing that I should start doing or stop doing in order to really live this. That's the one that the Holy Spirit is trying to inspire in you. That's the one that's going to get you that much closer to Jesus. And it's going to be the impetus for more and more good, small decisions every single day. And before you know it, a few years will go by and you'll look back and you'll say, wow, wow, my life is, is a lot better. I'm so much healthier mentally, physically, spiritually. The problem is we all want the immediate results. We want the get fit, quit, quick scheme. 
We want the get spiritually salient or solvent or whatever, you know, the word you want to use is as fast as possible. What's the thing that's going to help me experience Jesus the quickest? What's the thing that's going to give me the, the most healing? What's the pill I can take to fix my mental health most rapidly? We don't want to do the long work of changing our diet and our habits and our exercise, of actually going to therapy and confiding in others, of building that community and building trust and taking the time week after week to really dig into the areas we need healing, of taking that time every day in prayer, of making a sacrifice to go to mass more than once a week or to go and do a holy hour once a week. Those are the things, the small decisions and habits that we can do every single day, every single week, that over time will build that firm foundation so that the most extravagant structures can be built on top of it. And suddenly we'll be living this life of radical holiness and sainthood. And we won't even realize that it happened because we're joyfully just seeking what is above and pursuing the good in all the areas of our life. So brothers and sisters, what is the one thing that you need to start doing today to live this out and to pursue this more ardently. That is all I have for you this week. God bless you. And until next time, I will see you in the Eucharist. Bye.